Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. The Lakers Legacy podcast episode you're about to listen to is brought to you by the Fansided Sports Network, the ultimate home for fans, and by Lakeshowlife.com, Fansided's official Lakers website. Make sure to check out Lakeshowlife.com for all the latest Lakers news, rumors, and opinion pieces. As usual, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod, and also please consider dropping us a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. It truly is the best way to support us. And now, on with the showtime. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where if you've ever wondered about which NBA team houses the best all-white big three, well then, look no further than the Lakers' own Austin Reeves, Mac McClung, and Trez Tinkle. An all-American boy band in the streets, a pure shooting crossover mayhem in the basketball nylon calculus sheets. Whatever the hell that means. I was like, where is he going with it? (laughs) That's where I was going with it. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez. I am joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, what's the NBA going to do about this big three problem that the Lakers seem to keep on monopolizing, whether it's with their actual big league team or the G League? Uh, They're going to have to implement a hard cap on the G League (laughs) roster. So that we can't continue to sign Mac McClung and guys of that of that caliber. Exactly. But yeah, no, I'm just kidding. We will not be talking about the big three of Austin Reeves, Mac McClung, and Trez Tinkle. To the dismay of many, I'm sure. We will, of course, instead continue to keep talking about the actual big three of Braun, Brody, and the Brow. But on today's episode, we are going to be talking about more of the uh, surrounding geriatric old players that they signed and talk about the concept of experience versus geriatrics, or as Dwight put it, we're not old, we're experienced. And how while this strategy by the Lakers may not be the best long-term plan, it may actually be the tried and true strategy and plan to win immediately for the oncoming year. So yeah, I wanted to particularly talk about our full crop of former all-star players who in some form or fashion are going to have several games throughout the season and throughout the playoffs, we hope, where they will pop off for a classic vintage game. And in much the same way that, you know, new draft picks who haven't yet found their identity in the league will have six or seven marquee games within their first rookie year or their sophomore season where they truly flash their potential, I think the Lakers have that in a reverse Benjamin Button way with their all-star veterans. But in LA's case, I feel like we've assembled 
a large enough crop where we should be the beneficiaries of a revolving door of vintage classics that ultimately I feel like will stem the tide for us in an 82-game season and carry us through the finish line. So with that being our prime main idea, well, here, before we get to that, my icebreaker question for you, Tommy, is if you have any one thing that you've been cued in on about this team or a particular new player that's caught your eye in the last couple weeks that we haven't yet talked about that you'd like to bring to the table, now is your time. Give me one thing that you've been cued in on that, that you've been like, this is really interesting and I want to share it. I will say, you know, I, maybe this is not that interesting to other people, but it is interesting to me in, in, in terms of the way I've thought about how our roster and how our stars are going to coexist this year. But I was recently uh, spending a decent amount of time with one of my buddies who is a big, big Houston Rockets fan from mm-hmm. Houston. And so obviously, you know, was following closely the year that, you know, Houston had uh, Westbrook and Harden. And I guess like one thing that has not really occurred to me and, and in hindsight, it what he said makes a ton of sense. And I just never really thought about it because it's like, you know, it's not your team. You're not following them every day. But Westbrook and Harden actually did not play that much together when they Mm. were on that team, right? They would start the game together. One of them would come out like immediate, like within the first five minutes of the game, you know what I mean? And they were pretty much staggering those guys the entire game until the fourth quarter, like the last seven minutes or so of the game. And so Westbrook, part of the reason, you know, it seemed on paper like just an objectively horrible fit for him, right? To be on a team with a... We recall that team was coached, um, you know, with Mike D'Antoni and a very high three-point philosophy and, you know, all this this kind of stuff. And it just did not feel like that would really make sense for the type of game Westbrook has. And he put up, like, his – essentially his, like, career best numbers on that team. He was scoring, like, 27 a game. He hit, shot, like, 48% from the field on a team that so heavily emphasized three-point shooting. I think he had among his career low in attempts. He, like, dropped his attempts by a ton. And especially in the second half where they really went aggressive – the second half of the season where they really went aggressive with the Westbrook Harden stagger – um, he, he like even further like elevated himself. Right. So thinking about that fit with LeBron has gotten me really excited, right? Because the last three years or so that we've had LeBron, it's ob- obviously it's awesome having LeBron, but when he sits inevitably, and again, the one caveat here is maybe playoff bubble Rondo, like kind of filled the void here. But mm-hmm. other than that, like very brief period when LeBron would sit, the whole game changes, you know what I mean? For us on both sides, really, our energy is just like kind of deflated and, and all that. And, and it's just kind of like, it's, it got me really thinking like, holy crap, it's going to feel, and Westbrook is not as good as LeBron, but in some ways it's going to feel like we have a LeBron out there, relentless, like 48 yeah. minutes a game, just in terms of, yeah, exactly how relentless both of them are. Um, you know, I think we've so much, and and most people have put so much thought into how all three of our big big three are going to coexist. And when you think about like those minutes that we've, I don't want to call them wasted minutes, but those minutes that we've had, AD and LeBron staggered, where AD is out there with certainly in the year where we didn't have Rondo, or in the times where Rondo was hurt, like 
AD was out there without a true playmaker, without a guy who could get him the ball. And, you know, it, it's just like crazy to think about. Like all of those times could be filled out with some guy who's just as aggressive and physical and explosive as LeBron. And, and so it's gotten me a lot, you know, beyond thinking about how are these three going to fit together when they're in those final seven minutes of the game, closing a game, right? It, it kind of, you know, in a 48 minute game over an 82 game season, that that's not going to be obviously the majority of how these guys are going to be used. So thinking about how they're going to be used independently of each other has gotten me kind of excited. Yeah. And to lend to your point, you know, last season when the Wizards, Russell Westbrook started off the season, I believe, playing with an injured quad, I think he admitted later. And it wasn't until the second half of the season that he st- really started revving up and you saw his efficiency start to come around, and that's when the Wizards went on their run, right? Just to add on to your conversation about Russell Westbrook, I looked at his splits for his best two months near the tail end of the season, and this is really ridiculous. In 14 games in the month of March, Russell Westbrook averaged 25 points, 11 rebounds, 12.5 assists, two steals a game, and here's the kicker, 38% from three, hitting 2.1 a game. And this is in 14 games, okay? So this is like a big enough sample size to be like, yes, is Russell Westbrook a streaky-ass shooter and does he have some of the worst-looking bricks you've ever seen in your life? Yes. But (laughs) in short stretches, 14 games, hitting 2.1 from three-point land and hitting 38%, that's pretty impressive. And he shot 45% from the field, you know? So that's 14 games in, in March. In nine games during the month of May, Russell Westbrook averaged 26 points, 13 rebounds, 16 assists. He dipped in three-point shooting, as you would expect, 34% from three, but still hit two a game, 45.7% from the field. Obviously, he won't average these gaudy numbers next to LeBron James, but as you mentioned, if you stagger him, he might get close to those, right? So just bonkers stats from Russell Westbrook once he finally made the turn to a much more healthier second half of the season for him. So before we take it to break, I want, I'm going to give you one last interesting stat. This is kind of apropos of nothing, but uh, Tommy, did you know that last season Kent Bazemore ranked number eight overall in terms of steal percentage with a 2.4 steal percentage behind the likes of Draymond Green and Ricky Rubio and right above Drew Holiday? I did not know that. That's insane. Pretty crazy. I think Kent Bazemore, if you just, you know, average out what he does whenever he's on the court, and that's what steal percentage is. The percentage of the of times when you're out on the court, you get the steal. To be number eight overall in the NBA with his wingspan of about seven feet is really impressive for Kent Bazemore, even though I think throughout his career, he's kind of been known to be a sort of swiper and use that to his advantage and cause havoc in the passing lanes and strip guys who are dribbling the ball a little bit too free and really taking that out into transition. So I think to even have that weapon alongside Russell Westbrook and have a guy in Kent Bazemore who runs the floor well should be very exciting. So with that said, we'll take it to break. And when we return, we'll close this episode out talking about these old mercenary renegades who may give us some vintage classics throughout the season that may stem the tide for us in 82 games. So our sponsors first, and then we'll catch you guys after the break. Catch you on the flippity flip. Catch you on the flippity (laughs) flip. Hey folks, today's show is brought to you by the marginal writing skills of yours truly, Jonathan Hernandez. 
But did you know that this same Jonathan Hernandez who's speaking to you now is not only a corny, punerific Lakers podcast host, but also a TV writer who works in the entertainment industry as well? Now, I say that not to puff my chest out, but actually to do the exact opposite and grovel, because if you're a showrunner, an exec, or a fellow writer on a current show and are looking for some fresh new voices, well, please consider this quirky Filipino dude with this Lakers podcast who's speaking to you now. I'm pre-WGA, have years of animation production experience, script coordinator experience, I've also written four fully produced freelance animated scripts, and I was also privileged enough to have been named a finalist in the 2021 Universal Animation Writers Program. So for anyone that's looking to take a shot on a novice writer who's just shooting his shot right now in the weirdest way possible, I'd love to set up a general meeting or an informational with you to simply discuss potential opportunities. So please feel free to reach out to jhun247 at gmail.com. So with all that said, now back to the Lakers. Attention listeners across the galaxy. All the way from Australia to Houston, do we have a pube problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new Lawnmower 4.0. Kick your pubes to the next planet with the Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. So join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. So do you guys remember that one time I told you about that one white stray hair I had down there that almost made me pull a hip muscle after I pulled it? No? Well, there you go. And also, that's the last time you'll ever hear about any such hairy situation for me again. Because ever since I started using Manscaped, The white stray hair snipping process for me has been much smoother than ever. So, are you ready for an out-of-world experience, fellas? Look no further than the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped that has just taken off in not only the USA, but Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, Crop Preserver ball deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a Travel Bag to hold your whole solar system. Abort Harry Balls and Buzz Lightyear that Woody with Manscaped. Man, did I write this? I don't know. Anyways, get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. For a clean trinity and beyond, your space balls will thank you. All right, Tommy, so we're back. Tommy, I'm going to throw this one at you kind of a, a curveball, but who would you rather have at this stage, Carmelo Anthony or Kevin Love? Carmelo Anthony. Hey, there we go, because I actually agree, and I think he's the better player at this point. He may not be the purest shooter like Kevin Love is, but I don't think he's that far off. I think you tack on top of it that he's probably more spry and fit than Kevin Love and has the more all-around offensive offensively versatile game and I think I definitely would rather have Carmelo Anthony defensively I think they're both a wash offensively I think Melo's better I think there's a downside to that because Melo can kind of go off script a little bit and you know maybe hijack your offense 
But with regards to if you tell Melo at the onset of the season, hey, your role is to fill that Kevin Love role, shoot threes at the corners, kind of similar to what he did off the bench with Portland last year, where he doesn't go renegade Melo too much, I think that's the perfect role for him to be LeBron James, Kevin Love. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And and again, he's going to be so limited minutes-wise that it's going to be hard for anything to go wrong. I don't know, man. I think I'm starting to... So Alan's really high on Carmelo Anthony, and I'm starting oh, wow. to veer more <laughs> towards his opinion of that. I just think he might have a bigger than expected role. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean 30 minutes, but I'm actually hedging maybe more towards... 2025 i don't know we'll see yeah i don't know we we can we can continue discussing as the offseason goes along but i just think that he can be played in almost any lineup and i think we have enough defensive guys to hide him just because i think he's our purest shooter and at not only our purest shooter maybe not percentage wise but at that size six nine You'd be hard-pressed, again, to find a guy at that size who can shoot as well as Carmelo Anthony can. I just mentioned Kevin Love. He's, he'd be one of them. And then, you know, maybe Davis Bertans. But when you have, like, an offensive weapon like that and then also be able to dump it down to him in the post and just get you a shot if you need that, if the shot clock's winding down, I think that's pretty. That's a pretty impressive offensive tool to have. And, um, you know, so if, if Kevin Love is Ray Allen in terms of strictly shooting, I feel like Carmelo Anthony is Kobe Bryant, where Kobe wasn't a, as pure a shooter as Ray Allen, but he could still have nights where he, he'd hit eight or nine threes while still giving you more pop in other areas. So in, in, the, in their very reduced diminished roles, that's my comparison. Kevin Love equals Ray Allen, but Melo equals Kobe Bryant because he can st- still do a lot of that other stuff. It's all about reining him in, kind of like Dwight Howard. But on the regular, he's just going to be spotting up in transition, uh, in half-court offensive sets, and maybe even posting up. And the one thing that he can definitely do more than Kevin Love is he can still take guys off the dribble way better than Kevin Love can and attack the basket as well. So we'll have to see on the mellow thing. All right, before we get to talking about Carmelo Anthony, Kent Bazemore, Trevor Reza, Wayne Ellington, Dwight Howard, uh, I wanted to quickly give you some splits of these guys with regards to their best months last season, but also their best months in limited minutes. Oh, because they're going to be limited on this Lakers team. Do you get my drift? It's crazy. (laughs) All right, so here's Carmelo Anthony's best month last year. Not limited minutes, but just in general. Uh, In March, in 27 minutes per game, which he won't get this year, he averaged 16 points, three rebounds, 2.4 assists on 46% from the field and 39% from three, hitting two a game and 92% from the free throw line. So in the event that someone goes down and Carmelo needs to fill a role, he can pretty much do what Kyle Kuzma did, but do it shooting better from the perimeter. Oh, and I will say one thing I like about that is the free throw Absolutely. shooting because we will need that on this roster, dude. I, you know, when you actually when you factor that in, he, that dude might end up closing. if he can hold his hold his own, he might end up closing some games for us just because of his free throw shooting ability. And definitely situationally, at the very least, for sure, for certain possessions. Okay, here's Carmelo Anthony's best month in limited minutes in 16 games in April in just 21 minutes, his lowest minutes month the entire season. He still averaged 13 points, 42% from the field, which is lat, but 44% from three, hitting 2.3 a game. So if you can get 
a 44% three-point shooter hitting 2.3 a game Carmelo Anthony in just 20 minutes, you take that freaking every day you can as, as the Los Angeles Lakers. So we hope that he can replicate that in some capacity in limited minutes. All right, moving on to Kent Bazemore, and I'll pick up the pace. Best month in May, 29 minutes per game. 10 points, 5 rebounds, 2 assists, 1.2 steals, 47% from the field, 35% from 3, hitting 1.4 a game. It's okay. Pretty solid. Uh, his, best, his best month in limited minutes came in February, where he only averaged 18 minutes. He averaged 8.4 points, 3 rebounds, 1.7 assists on 50% from the field, 46% from 3, hitting 1.5 a game. That's great efficiency in just 18 minutes. We hope for that from Kent Bazemore. Uh, Trevor Ariza, he pretty much played big minutes every month he played with the Heat after getting traded. They used him as a four, started him, etc. Um, rough first start for him during the seven games he played in March, but I think that's because he was getting his sea legs under him after not having played the entire first half of the season. 5.6 points, 4.4 rebounds on 28% from the field and 19% from three. Yummy. Okay, <laughs> that's that's not what we want. But again, you know, that that was him regaining his legs. His best overall month was in May through eight games, 12 points, five rebounds, two assists, 47% from the field, 35% from three, hitting two a game, but with 1.6 steals. So great from Trevor Ariza, but again, he was averaging about 28 minutes, which we can't expect from him. Uh, quickly, Wayne Ellington. Okay, this is the most ridiculous. Uh, in January, he had a stretch where he hit 40 of 67 from three in eight games. Uh, <laughs> but uh, his whole month in March, he averaged 25 minutes. He still averaged 12 points, 48% from the field, 45% from three, hitting 3.43s a game. I think at the most he'll average 15 minutes. But again, the fact that this dude can be highly efficient and still knock down a volume number of threes and that limited amount of time bodes well for Wayne Ellington being that guy that you can kind of just plug and play whenever, regardless of his role, and he'll still be able to perform because of his veteran savviness. Uh, Dwight Howard, I don't think we really need to go through, but his best month in March last year, 19 minutes, he averaged nine points, 9.7 rebounds and a block a game. So almost averaging a double-double below 20 minutes is pretty impressive. Um, so with that said, you know, I just wanted to bring up those guys' names because those are our quote-unquote veterans who have starred resumes. And even a guy like, you know, Trevor Ariza or Kent Bazemore, even though they don't have Hall of Fame careers and won't be, haven't been all-stars, they have still done very impressive things in their careers, put up some impressive stats in their primes. And also, they both have gotten paid in one capacity or another, and there's a tangible reason for why they got paid during the seasons that they did, because they were versatile and they could actually, you know, provide something on the court. So even with the lower end guys like Ariza and Bazemore, I think if you put them in the category with guys like Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard, Marc Gasol, Rajon Rondo, if we have him, while we may not have the spry legs and endurance out of this crop of group or out of this crop, I feel like we have a plethora of wisdom and skill that not even the spryest of legs can conjure up. And I'm talking about the guys that went out for us in terms of Trez, Kuzma, KCP, Caruso, Schroeder. Uh, were those guys great and instrumental to our defensive scheme and them being active and frenetic and all that? Yes, they were. But in a lot of ways, their 
their consistent reliability, especially come playoff time, was always a big question mark. And in a lot of ways, I feel like that question mark has been answered with some of these older dudes that we've brought in who've been there multiple times in all different sorts of scenarios. And I feel like we're just replacing the proven question mark with the will they stay healthy question mark. But with that said, can you talk to me about just this concept and thought of having these older veteran guys stagger classic vintage games of theirs where they pop off randomly throughout the course of an NBA season and the the stats will still look like their prime selves. They just won't do it consistently, right? But I feel like we have enough guys between Dwight Howard, Marc Gasol, Carmelo Anthony, Kent Bazemore, Trevor Ariza, Wayne Ellington to stem the tide for us where, you know, Carmelo Anthony goes off one night. Then it's uh, Kent Bazemore's turn or Trevor Ariza's turn, Wayne Ellington's turn. In essence, it's almost like we have a bunch of playoff rondos on our team and maybe literal rondo too. Whereas, you know, that first championship season, it was really Dwight Howard and Rajon Rondo who could conjure up that their former selves at the right time. We have more a wider crop of those sorts of guys. So a revolving door of playoff rondos that I think should help us in the regular season provided we stay relatively healthy, but also pay ultimate dividends, I feel like, in the playoffs where you have reliable veteran guys who at any moment's notice can drop 20 on you and you know channel their prime selves, even if it's from like a wisdom and skill perspective as it would be for a guy like Marc Gasol. So your thoughts on that? Well, it's it's interesting because if everybody buys in, right, which is what we got two years ago, I don't even think you have to, like, stretch that hard to, like, yeah. see how this could kind of, like, work. You know what I mean? Like, for example, no one is expecting, you know, put the memes aside, put the big four memes or whatever aside, you know, no one's expecting 2008 Carmelo Anthony to walk through the door, right? Like, we know what version of Carmelo we're getting, and if he can just like do what's asked of him and kind of fill that Dwight Howard 2019 role of like some nights you're going to play 25 minutes, some nights you're going to play 10 minutes. And it just depends on the matchups and who's hot or whatever. It's however the rotations are working or whatever's going on that night. Um, you know, you, you're just going to fill that role. It is not unreasonable that this dude could come in, I'm not saying again, every night he's not going to average 20 points a game, but to come in once in a while and drop you a 20-point game off the bench, like, he can still do that. You know what I mean? He's he's still a scorer. He could still shoot. Like you've mentioned many times, he's like, as a 6'9 shooter in the NBA, there are not many guys who are better than him, right? So, even at his age. So, you don't even really have to stretch that hard to see it, but... I mean, I think we are going to see that over the course of a season. Like you mentioned the Dwight Howard stats and it's, we obviously had the luxury of watching that in person, you know, uh, two years ago. So we know that with limited minutes, he can kind of come out and do his thing and it doesn't really matter. He's going to make his impact and, and however much time. And, and so I think like because of the way, because of the three stars that we have and the culture that we've kind of built. And maybe we went a little bit off the path with that culture last year, but it was a COVID year and we could just blame that. But, you know, it's, it's, I don't think it's even that hard to see how we can get some of these older guys to come in and just have like classic style performances, you know? And I almost feel like at this point, I know you haven't thought much about this, but 
if you have the luxury of assembling a team like this, granted that your main priority and goal is to just win in the next upcoming year and you're not looking any further than that, I'd almost argue this is the best way to do it. And I and I know for in our situation, it was also the only way because we were limited cap space wise. But to bring in and use your leverage and your cachet and your nepotism as it is with Clutch and LeBron James homies and whatnot, if you can get guys the caliber of Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard, even the lower end guys like Trevor Ariza and, and Kent Bazemore, I feel like more oftentimes than not, this renegade mercenary compilation tactic ends up actually working, provided there's a strong core structure of stars at the helm, i.e. LeBron, AD, and Westbrook, right? So obviously there's a, the cautionary tale of like the Brooklyn Nets phase one with Deron Williams, Joe Johnson, KG, Paul Pierce, and Brook Lopez. But mm-hmm. I feel like that's almost the exception to the rule when you cobble up a, a team with like former Hall of Famers because the next team that I think about in that respect is, you know, Kobe, Shaq, Peyton, and Malone, right? That obviously didn't work out, but that team still made it to the finals and was largely derailed by Karl Malone being injured in the finals and also Kobe having such a tumultuous year with the Colorado case, right? So even if you can make it to the finals with this sort of team, I think a lot of that is propelled by, like Dwight Howard said, guys' experience and being in a number of different situations and I feel like, again, it's like the playoff Rondo scenario, but you have it in several different guys. And I think in high stakes moment in the playoffs, you're going to need that. What we really traded off, again, like I mentioned, Kuzma, KCP, Keith, Trez, you know, what we really traded off with those guys and getting Ariza, Bazemore, and Mello in return is we got the older, more fully realized versions of them, of all those guys that went out, were just kind of you know, risking it a bit with regards to longevity and endurance and health and Correct. fresh legs, right? So, but everything provided and you're able to stem the tide through 82 games and most of these older guys are still hanging in there when the playoff starts. Would you agree with me that the ceiling for this team is so high because of that? Yeah, I 100% agree. And, and you know, it, it's an interesting situation too, because I think this team is going to be really fun to watch during the season, but theoretically we should be better in the postseason. And the, and the way I mean that is like, we've seen it time after time, right? And, and the Phoenix Suns are a very rare exception. Although even that you could argue they sort of met their, their match once they hit the finals. Right. But most guys who have not been, who are not number one superstars or number two, you know, role players and I guess otherwise number two role players who have not had consistent exposure to serious high pressure playoff type basketball, those types of guys tend to fade, right? Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, you have a dude like Carmelo Anthony who maybe over an 82 game season you think is a mediocre player. Guess what? That dude is going to drop you 25 points in a playoff Cody game. Mello, I, Olympics I'm Mello. just saying like again, I'm not saying he's going to average it. People are going to misquote and like you know, look at these Laker fans, but I, I'm just saying that like he at least has the capacity to do that. Absolutely. Meanwhile, you got Dennis Schroeder out here, you know. Zero points, <laughs> like, zero points in the playoffs. Trash, guys too much, like, beat him too much while he's down. Yeah, but, yeah. like, you know, you have guys, like, of that sort of role player caliber who over an 82-game season, you're like, oh, my God, he's sixth man of the year. And then he goes into the playoffs and he shoots 25 30%. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, exactly. So, again, I'm very excited. 
it's going to rest on fit and chemistry throughout the season. I'm more confident about that working out just because of the solid group of veterans that we've compiled who seem like they have the right perspective and, as Dwight has said, have nothing more to prove at this stage of their career but to win a chip. So hopefully that takes center stage. It's crazy. This whole time we haven't talked about Malik Monk and Kendrick Nunn. Maybe they're, To me, they're cherries on top of the Sunday, and we're going to need them over the course of an 82-game season, obviously, to stem the tide for us and give us fresh legs, etc. But come playoff time, I've heard from a number of different podcasts that oh, the Lakers did a lot to raise their floor. They're more of an 82-game regular season team. And I'm like, yeah, we are, but I just don't see how this doesn't pay dividends for us in the playoffs when it matters the most when you have Hall of Famers, Olympic gold medalists, dudes like Trevor Ariza who have been to the finals and won the chip and been through a myriad of experiences that Schroeder, Kuzma, KCP have never been through. Also, granted that KCP... Won a championship, yes, but it was in the bubble with no fans. You know what I mean? Like, Red. that's why I'm just like, no, I think we're going to make our money in the playoffs, again, provided that we're healthy. And also that the fit and the chemistry and morale stays consistent and LeBron and all the vets. And at this point, Dwight Howard reigns everybody in. So all that considered, I know that's a lot of ifs and buts, but we saw this happen with the 2019-20 championship team. We have the same sort of composition with regards to mentality and aligned vision. We just have a lot better players than that roster. You know what I mean? I think what was missing last year when we got so excited about, you know, the best amount of talent that we've ever pulled together is the fact that that talent just so happened to rest on guys like Trez, Schroeder, who had different priorities in their careers at that time, right? And then we even and frankly, they're and frankly in both cases. But and again, I love Trez. He, I he love yeah, him. He yeah. was on the team. He had a great season for us. But consistently has sort of proven that he is a regular season player. Like the last two seasons and really critical moments has sort of faded, right? Yeah, and then you introduce the Drummond thing, and that throws a wrench into your whole culture and chemistry. <laughs> right. And this year, it's like we're back to twenty nineteen twenty in terms of the aligned vision and chemistry and veteran leadership. But you also just got better veterans too. And guys who aren't necessarily thinking about what their next move is and what they have to prove to the extent that we have those guys, it's Malik Monk and Kendrick Nunn. And guess what? If they're not going to play the right way, we just sit their asses. They're on one-year contracts for the most part. You know what I mean? So, And these veterans will keep them in line. So I'm very excited about the waves of throwback classics that our team could potentially provide I just hope that we have the wheels at the finish line to see this whole thing through. Uh, With that said, thank you guys for listening. That's our episode. Follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. We are part of the fan-sided family. Check us out on lakeshowlife.com. We are their official Lakers podcast. And yeah, I'm ready to watch this Expendables, the Suicide Squad, and this Fast 9 crew the Lakers have assembled this year. Because Tommy... There's nothing more important than family. (laughs) Family. I don't think uh, Toretto ever says it that way, but you know what? It's all about family. And with that said, Tommy, I will let you go. Later, dude. Peace. Peace.